and welcome, my friend, to this final episode of the spring 2022 season of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. This is an epic episode we have for you today, but first I just have to say thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed to the podcast, left a review on iTunes, and liked the podcast. I just I cannot thank you enough for all the downloads we've had for this season. It's just gone really, really well. The summer season starts next week, all about ecological gardening, so make sure to be subscribed so you don't miss that. We've got a lot of great episodes, including that second episode with the incredible Doug Tallamy. And uh, then also make sure to stick around for the end of this podcast today because we've got another special announcement there. But for now, we have just, you have probably run into him if you ever search for anything on Google, on YouTube, on Instagram. He is just an absolute wealth of knowledge for landscape and all things landscape, all things gardening. Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening is with us today and we talk about grow bags. And so Minnesota here in the upper Midwest in our cold climates, we're finally warm enough to be doing a lot of gardening outside. And this is just another way to garden. And I'm working on uh, learning how to use grow bags for the first time myself this year. And Kevin just does a wonderful job of taking everyone through the first steps of using grow bags. And uh, with that, here is our episode with Kevin Espiritu of Epic Gardening. All right, my friends, today we have another awesome guest. I'm really excited to have Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening here with us today. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me. A, I really appreciate your time. And B, all of the just incredible amount of work you do sharing with folks and and how how gardening works and how it can work and you really great job of sharing as to how that can work across the United States and across the planet and that that kind of thing so you just do a really great job of sharing that but will you for the you know maybe six people who don't know what about epic gardening do you want to talk about epic gardening a little bit and just let people know uh, what you do Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Epic Gardening, a long time ago, it started out as just a hobby blog of me kind of blogging about what I was doing in hydroponic gardening. And these days in 2022, Epic is basically, it's hard to describe exactly what we have become, but I guess I I call us a gardening education media company that sells products to our customers as well, or our audience as well. So basically we just create gardening content on the internet and try to teach people how to grow food and grow plants. And we do that on every platform that exists. Uh, your YouTube videos are, is that, are the YouTube videos basically the, the main hub of things or is that where you send people to, or what, what's the, what's the best place for people to learn from you? You know, I think it's every, every platform has its own unique sub audience of gardeners and, YouTube is certainly the most detailed. If you're a video-based learner and you want the longer form stuff, then you know we've got the Epic Gardening YouTube channel. We have the Epic Homesteading YouTube channel. Jacques, who's on our team, also has his own YouTube channel. So we sort of have a little network going on YouTube. And people can learn a lot about gardening there and a lot about grow bags, which is what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm a newer convert to grow bags. And last year you put out a book called Grow Bag Gardening, Revolutionary Way to Grow Bountiful Vegetables, Herbs, Fruits, and Flowers in Lightweight, Eco-Friendly Fabric Pots. So will you, why do you like to grow in grow bags first? Yeah. So when I was gardening, really when I sort of went all in on Epic back in 2016, I was living a little bit closer to suburban downtown San Diego or urban downtown San Diego. And so I had a very small front yard 
And I did have some raised beds in there, but I was just trying to cram as many different containers as I could in. And grow bags are great because of the portability of them. You know, they come with these hands. There's all sorts of different benefits, which I'm sure we'll talk about, Brad. But a lot of it is the ability to sort of move them around at will. You get a lot of great growing benefits to them. And to me, they just sort of outcompeted the traditional container. And what what is a, let's just give a definition of what is a grow bag? Yeah, the, the best way to describe them is effectively it's like a woven fabric and that fabric could actually be made of all sorts of different types of materials, like a recycled plastic bottle. There are some brands that do that. There's some brands that go with fully natural fibers, but effectively it is some type of woven fabric in the shape of a bag or a cylinder. So it's it's somewhat similar to how a container would look, but usually not with that tapered bottom. And they come in all different sizes. And my kids were, were really excited that they come in all different colors too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of colors, sizes, even sort of form factors, I guess you could say there's longer, thinner ones that are a little taller. There's shorter, more stout ones. I mean, there's, I've seen grow bags up to 300 gallons. I don't have any of those, but (laughs) they exist. And we'll get into in a little bit here what the different sizes and shapes will do for folks. But what are your favorite things, Kevin, to grow in grow bags and why? So the things that I like, so now, I mean, the little context is I'm on more space now. So I don't necessarily need to grow in grow bags, honestly, at all, because I can grow in the backyard, which is in ground. And I have, I think, 17 raised beds in the front yard. So it's not absolutely necessary, but things that I like to grow in grow bags, especially if I'm running some kind of experiment like a tomato versus another tomato, you know, a single summer crop like a tomato or a pepper or an eggplant, something in, in along those lines, or something, you know, an ornamental pollinator that you can then move around to different parts of the garden. So it's it's shifted from when I first started using grow bags. When I first started, I really loved doing stuff like potatoes, for example. And how... how- Let's do a little tutorial on potatoes because potatoes are going to be, I'm going to try potatoes in grow bags this year for the first, the first year. So what do I and other folks need to know about growing potatoes in grow bags? So I've grown potatoes in just about every type of method you could imagine. And grow bags is certainly one of them. So the way that I do it is I typically we'll say one potato per five gallon of bag. Now you don't have to follow that rule. If you were to do like three small seed potatoes in a five gallon, you would certainly get potatoes, but you'd probably get more potatoes that were smaller. And so I typically will do one potato per five gallon. So 15 gallon grow bag, you'd do three and you want to fill the bottom of the grow bag up, maybe three or four inches or so, then put your seed potatoes in and then cover with another couple inches. And as it starts to sprout, Every, call it five or six inches, you'll want to hill it up. And in this case, it's not really hilling. It's more just filling the bag itself and, you know, hill it up until it gets to just below that sprout point and do that until you get to the top of the bag. And once you get to the top, you can kind of let it go. The one little key on that is at the very beginning, of course, they're under the soil. They haven't sprouted. They don't need any light whatsoever. But as soon as they do sprout, I like to roll the sides of the grow bag down so that the sun angle hits the the leaves earlier. And that'll help them grow a little bit faster. Because of course, you know, if you're burying them sort of low in an underfilled grow bag, then the sun isn't hitting them because they're not at the top. And so I think that's, that's one of the keys that helped me with the grow bag potatoes. 
And so how would, is there any differences in growing in grow bags as compared to if you're growing in ground? Because growing up, we always planted potatoes in the ground, but we were on a farm and had lots and lots of space. And I have uh, been hesitant to grow potatoes because we're on a quarter acre lot here and we have raised beds that we're growing in because the soil is a bunch of, uh, the, the developers pulled all the good soil out. So we're left with clay and rocks and it's just that kind of, uh, kind of a place. And so that's why I'm going to use grow bags this year is to extend the raised bed areas that we have. Is there a major difference between growing in a raised bed or in ground versus grow bags or, or run into any problems that way? Specifically for potatoes? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in ground potatoes, as I'm sure, you know, growing up in the farm, pretty easy you just this the soil has to be at least somewhat loose so they have somewhere to expand into but you know we've grown them in relatively heavy clay soil with a little compost mixed in just sort of set it and forget it and you can dig it up later and you don't have to do too much there raised bed potato we, we t- i typically just bury both in ground and raised bed i just bury deeper and forego healing whatsoever and so i would say you know certainly a lot of crops are easier when they're they're grown in ground, but the whole point of, of grow bags existing is that a lot of people don't have that space. And so it's just a couple little modifications. I mean, the same things I talked about with grow bags would apply if you're growing them in like a five gallon bucket, which is really popular or just a traditional container. So yeah, just a couple more things. I mean, you could also just bury the potato really deep in the grow bag, fill it up completely and not hill at all. I've, I've tried that as well. You still do get a yield there. So you don't have to go the extra mile if you don't want to. And just so everybody knows, what is the what is the benefit of hilling potatoes? You know, that's actually an interesting question because I'm somewhat uncertain if there is a huge benefit at all relative to the effort and sort of resources that you use to do it. So I, I think I might hold a kind of a contrarian view there. But what I typically do these days, especially as I'm I'm not growing my potatoes in grow bags, like I said, is instead of hilling them up in a raised bed or in ground, I just dig them probably twice as deep as normal. And then plant them and let them grow. Because what's happening with a potato is as it sprouts from the seed potato, the distance between that point and the surface of the soil, wherever that ends up being, typically it's about 12 to 18 inches, is the area of the plant that those offshoots will form, those stolons, and then it will form a potato. And so the the thesis really is the higher you can get that, the more potatoes you're going to get. But, you know, I've I've seen either, either my own experience or also studies it it doesn't seem like you get a ton more yield past about 12 or 18 inches. So, you know, my thought is, okay, well, if I bury it about 10-ish, 12-ish inches deep, shouldn't it just be fine? And and that actually has proven out to be okay. Hey, real quick, before we get back to this episode, so many times you'll have questions about gardening, whether a plant should need more room, what you should do, how to prune this, what's going on with your vegetables, those kinds of things. And you just need someone to talk to about that. We have you covered with Minnesota Gardening Coaching Calls. They are 25 minutes long. We do them over Zoom, and it's all with me. So you get my decades of knowledge about landscape, sustainable lawn care, food gardening here to help you out. So right Right now, we are having a sale on those. It is just $27. That's $10 off a 25-minute Zoom with me, Brad Tabke, and would love to join you. So go to minnesotagardening.com, and at the top, you will see coaching sessions. Good. So what other kinds of uses should people have for grow bags? What are the kinds of things are people finding success in in growing them? And also on that same line as to where are people finding success in what types of environments in 
people growing on, you know, rooftops or balconies and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, certainly the small space gardener is going to love a grow bag. Um, I mean, back in the day when I was at the old place, what I would do is I would grow things and germinate them, direct sow them in the grow bags, obviously in an area that wasn't directly taking up space in the garden and then move it out into the garden and swap something else out. So there's a lot of flexibility and portability with them. Rooftops, balcony gardeners, apartment gardeners, all great. I think the only thing you'd say about a balcony gardener is generally because they are so porous, you're going to want some sort of protection. You don't want to be watering your uh, downstairs neighbor's balcony, right? So you do have to watch out for that. But really, it's 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 people who don't have a ton of space who want to create a, a flexible and, and portable garden. I've also seen people set them up in their suburban backyards and do, you know, rows of grow bags with individual tomatoes, or even a trellis that spans across many grow bags, maybe a string trellis that kind of goes over five grow bags in a row and strings them up. So there's, there's a lot of different creative ways to use it. I think a lot of it comes down to personal gardening style and preference. And didn't Joe Lample use a bunch recently of grow bags for tomatoes and things like that? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he probably has. I, I, I'd have to go check him out. Yeah, it. Uh, I think I remember him talking on his podcast about about using grow bags for tomatoes, or maybe it's there's another tomato guy that he has on a bunch. It might have been that guy as well. Ah, so uh, yeah. I should know what I'm Craig talking about. Craig Lahulier. Craig Lahulier. Spouting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Good. So let's talk about sizing now of grow bags, and they come as you said earlier, really small. You can get gallon grow bags, three, seven, ten, up to really, really large grow bags. Let's talk about small grow bags first. Like what would people be wanting? What kinds of things work well in smaller grow bags? So for me, I would say I don't really go below five gallons myself. We actually offer grow bags on our store now and we don't even offer below five because we just don't feel that it's worth it, to be honest, because you know, the, the principal benefit really of grow bags that we haven't talked about is the air pruning benefits because the entire bag itself is is porous and exposed to the air. So when roots hit the edge, they the tips actually die, forces more root growth down into towards the center of the plant. So in more of a fibrous root structure. But the downside of grow bags that you do have to mitigate is that they are porous on all sides. So they'll lose water quicker and they'll drain out quicker. And so basically a long way of saying the less soil volume you have relative to surface area around the bag, the quicker it's going to dry out and the more you're going to need to water it. And so on a three gallon bag or one gallon bag, it's, it's kind of like, it's not really the benefits of, of that air printing aren't really worth going to that size of bag. So from five plus is what we tend to suggest and what we grow and, and also offer. And then, you know, from there, five gallons is probably enough to pull off smaller determinate tomatoes. I think if you, you're starting to get into indeterminates or more resource intensive plants, you want to go towards the 10 or the 15 gallon stuff, but you can also do four heads of lettuce in a five gallon pot. You can do an herb bag. They're, they also make bags that are sort of slitted and you can put stuff in the sides. So you can do like a little herb pot that way. You could do four beans. I mean, I, what I would kind of do is map the square foot gardening style spacing onto grow bags. You know, a five gallon bag, you probably have about one point something square feet. And so you can, you can kind of do the math that way. And we'll, and you have really great diagrams and charts in, in the book, grow bag gardening for what works well and what fits and what different types, sizes of 
grow bags. And we'll have a link to that on minnesotagardening.com. People just search for grow bag gardening episode here with Kevin. And then they can obviously go to Epic Gardening and, and find those there as well. So it's really good. The book has a lot of great examples and, and showing what people can do with things. So what are some unexpected things that you have tried or you've seen people try in grow bags? So we've seen people do corn pretty successfully, actually. We've seen people do, you know, straight up trees, fruit trees, citrus, things like that. The pollinator idea, I think, is a really interesting one where you're growing, you know, either natives or just well-known pollinator plants and, and sort of placing those around your summer, you know, squash or cucumbers or tomatoes to sort of force the bees to be attracted to that area and then ideally also pollinate those plants. What, Interesting. what else have we seen? I mean, we, we've grown some odd stuff. We've grown other types of interesting tuber crops. Mashua is one that we tried to grow. Didn't work out too well. I think it got a little too hot for our climate. Yeah, I mean, I, almost anything you, you can pull off as, as long as you have the right size bag. And so we'll get uh, into so what we'll, I have some we asked questions on Instagram the other day as to what people would want to know from you. And so I've got some really great questions for you about just epic gardening stuff in general. So excited to get to that in a little bit. But just to finish off grow bags here and how people can use grow bags, we're here in Minnesota and we're upper Midwest cold climate gardeners. Do you recommend using like short season things that are going to give you like you talk about lettuce and that kind of thing is it should people have would people have more success using multiple successions of of short season type crops or just like with corn for example you put it in there and that's that's how it's going to be used for the entire season what what types of uses that way make the most sense for grow bags and in, in our climate yeah i mean in your guys climate i i probably wouldn't do something like corn personally just because there are better form factors for growing corn. I mean, it's a wind pollinated plant. So you really want like a four foot by four foot block of corn in a perfect world. And even then you'll notice that the center of that block is, is what gets the best yield because obviously the most pollen is distributed on the, the silks. So, you know, things like corn, it, it's a, it's more of a can, not necessarily optimal. Right. And so, you know, in a cold mm -hmm. climate, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going with the shorter season successions of, of lettuce, but you, you can completely pull off tomatoes, peppers, all your classic summer crops. I would be growing like if I was growing tomatoes and peppers, certainly on tomatoes, I'd probably be skewing towards a determinate. And if I had a different method of growing, I'd go indeterminate, maybe in a raised bed or a in ground, just, you're going to have to build a pretty significant trellis. If you're going indeterminate in a grow bag and you get that toppling over risk. Right. But right. Yeah, I, I would do some, I, you could do something like squash so long as you had the space for it to spread out. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's better to do short season successions or, or one single season crop. So is there regarding grow bags, Kevin, is there anything that you want people to know about grow bags that we haven't covered yet that you talked a lot? Oh, actually, sorry. I missed one of my bullet points here. Soil. What, the, what's the best kind of soil to put in grow bags? So what I tend to do, so, you know, the classic potting mix is generally one third uh, moisture retention component like peat moss or coconut core, one third drainage like perlite or pumice, one third compost, right? And the only thing that I do when I'm mixing up a grow bag mix is I just up the water retention a little bit and I dial the drainage down a little bit. So if I was making my own mix, I might go 
30% compost. I might go 40% on coconut core, let's say, and then the remainder would be would be the drainage. So I, I just dial that down slightly because again, they, they do have the blessing and the curse of having excellent drainage, right? Good for the roots and just means you have to manage it more. So I want to make that mix hold a little more water. So would just anything standard potting soil would work for everybody. Just need to make sure that you're watching that watering constantly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's the thing. And that's why I want to skew towards a larger bag, more soil, more water retention, and, and that mix that holds a little more water. Right. Well, I, that leads me now in a very inelegant switch of topics to asking about the epic chickens and how are, how are the chickens doing? That's, that's what my kids want to know. <laughs> yeah, they're doing well. I mean, they're, they're, I think they're just about at their two month old point. I think I got them in late February. And so, yeah, they're, they're pretty large now. They're out fully self-sustaining out in the coop. We've got a, this Coop Works feeder, which is a sort of bulk feeder with these little portholes so they can feed themselves really easily. doesn't run out for weeks, really. And then I've got a water bar with those little watering nipples on them. So that's connected to a 50-something gallon tank. So they're feeding and watering themselves, putting themselves to bed, playing around. Um, I'm hoping I can build a, a little outdoor area for them to play in pretty soon, but it's just a priorities thing. Right now, they're doing well and just kind of hanging out. Are you guys, I think it's probably just our side of the Rockies, but are you guys having any avian influenza, highly pathogenic avian influenza issues over there? You know, I, I don't really know much about that. I know that one of my friends, Anne, she's Real Hands of OC on Instagram, has been posting a lot about it. I don't really come into contact with people besides, I guess, Jacques, who also have chickens. So I don't really know how much my hens would be at risk for it. But then again, I I haven't studied. I don't know much about it. Yeah, we're in not necessarily quarantine mode up here, but we're anybody who has chickens is highly recommended to keep them like in the coop and that kind of thing and pull out all of all of our bird feeders and bird bass and that kind of thing. Because the migratory birds that are flying through right now are carrying avian influenza with them and it's spreading to a lot. We've got wow. A bunch of bald eagles and raptors and things that are succumbing to it right now. And it like the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota has stopped taking in animals because it's been overflowed. So it's a, it's a rough thing for people to know. So that hopefully will be through here. It's historically been done by the end of June. So hopefully that will, will help. So glad you guys aren't having a big issue with it over there. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. And then another question that we've got from our friends is how are, how are you dealing with the raccoons and just those kinds of pests in general? Not well. I mean, the I, I don't know what it is at night right now, but something is coming through and just shredding through the soil in the in the backyard as well as I mean, I walked out this morning and my two of my raised beds, one with my squash and one with my cucumbers and basil and borage, just absolutely torn up. I think they're just hunting for those grubs, but I can't tell if it's a cat, a raccoon. I really don't know. I might need to put a trail cam out, but it's been pretty rough lately, actually. Yeah, growing up, we would have the head of a woods beside the house and everything. And so we had a lot of raccoons and those bastards would come and they would uh, pretty much every night unpot all of the potted plants on our deck. And so they just had fun. And I, I don't think they're actually doing it for any purpose. Like it was flowers and that kind of stuff. They would just yank them out and have a good time with it. Yeah, the, the raccoons especially seem to be almost just troublemakers, you know? Yeah. 
they're mischievous little guys. So that's good. It, I hope find a way to deal with that. I don't know of any like raccoon repelling type things either. Cause they just kind of deal with it and have to find, find a way to coexist, I guess. Yeah. They're super smart. So it's, it's tough to fully prevent them. I mean, you could try to trap them or I got in a bunch of suggestions like uh, human hair, I guess can work coyote urine, like all these crazy suggestions that maybe I'll have to try out. Cause it's actually getting pretty bad. Yeah, we have, I went, I think we use to handle our rabbit situation. So we have lots and lots of rabbits that like to eat seedlings and, and everything like that. So where we don't have fenced in, there are some really good capsicum products that work on rabbits. And I know that they've got a picture of a raccoon on the, on the bottle, but I don't know. I've never tried it on that or had a, a use to try it on that. So hopefully you'll find something that works there well with you. So good. And then the koi and the big epic pond. How, how is everything going there? Is there, are you learning a lot from that or how is, how is that all going? It's going really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the pond is, is filling in really nicely. All the plants that we've put in are, are exploding. And then we added some more recently and those have been doing pretty well. We did lose one koi. It kind of swam out into the return of the pond and unfortunately wasn't able to get back in, but we made some changes to the design of that. And now they can't really do that. So it was a bummer, but you know, the rest are doing well. And yeah, the pond's been great. I just need a landscape around it. Awesome. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate your time. We're bumping up against the end here. And I've got uh, one last question for you around like record keeping and keeping track. One thing that uh, a lot of folks that we talk to run into issues with is how, how to keep track of where everything's going, like how much, when they plant peppers each year and how much works for them and that. Do you have any tips or tricks for folks as to, or what you do with how to, especially with a large and expansive of a garden as you have now, how do you keep track of everything? Like we, we talked a little bit with Meg Cowden about this in the last episode, but how do you find a way to keep track of, of how many, like what kinds of peppers you've planted and that kind of thing? You know, this is like literally all I do. So I don't really have a good answer for other people that, that, do other things in their life, but this is all I do. So I have a pretty good mental map of what's going on, but we do track our beds. Our beds are numbered. So I have, you know, the front yard is like R1, R2 for raised bed one, raised bed two on, on backwards. And then we sort of have irrigation zones set up, which kind of maps to different zones of the garden. In the backyard, beds are also numbered. There's, you know, the in-ground bed, one, two, three, four, et cetera. And, you know, we just kind of know what's in those beds and it helps that it's directly in my own home and I get to walk around in the morning and, and make notes. And of course we have Jacques on the team who's, who's here to help out. We have uh, Paul who's on our team to help out as well. He's sort of learning. He's a dragon fruit guy primarily, but he's, he's learning a lot about all different sorts of edible gardening. And so we, you know, having some help obviously is, is crucial, but I think the thing to remember is this is what we do for an actual living as a business. And so it's, a, it's a little different for us compared to a home gardener. I think a lot of people just write stuff down in a, in a journal. I mean, that's, that's what Jacques tends to do. I do a lot of that on a whiteboard. For me, pen and paper has been really good. We're trying to come up with a journaling app idea that I think is sort of missing in the garden space. We'll, we'll have to see if that works or it doesn't work. But, you know, for me, it's, it's just like whatever method helps you retain information the best, just use that one. I couldn't agree more on the fact that there's a, a gap in the gardening world. So if anybody has suggestions on that, please let me know. But I've been trying 
the last fall and this spring trying out multiple different apps and they either all do way too much and it makes it not easy to use and very difficult or they do hardly anything and it's it's a it's a frustrating middle ground there that just doesn't doesn't exist so i hope you figured something out with that that's uh that's a beautiful thing so perfect well kevin espiritu from epic gardening thank you so much for being here is there anything that i didn't ask you about that you want to share with no i don't think so i mean if you if you like gardening and you want to learn about it obviously you know brad's stuff is great you've been on our podcast brad and you know feel free to check out epic stuff and if if you're interested in some products that have been tested by gardeners like myself and jacques and everyone on our team you can also check out our store You've got a lot of really great stuff in the store and Birdie's Garden Beds and all those kinds of things. So you uh, have a lot of awesome things happening that way that everybody can find at Epic Gardening and also on Instagram and TikTok. Anywhere else people can find you that you want to make sure people know about? Yeah, I mean, really, it's just Epic Gardening everywhere. If you're interested in sort of the homesteading side of it, then Epic Homesteading on YouTube and Instagram are the places to go look. Thanks again, Kevin, for being here. I really appreciate your time and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Brad. You too. See what I mean? Kevin was just so incredible to chat with for this episode. I learned a lot from him. And I hope you did the same. And so you can grab his book, Grow Bag Gardening, the revolutionary way to grow bountiful vegetables, herbs, fruits, and flowers and lightweight, eco-friendly fabric pots at his website at epicgardening.com. You can find those there. And he's usually got signed copies for you there as well. And if you want the link to that, you can go in the show notes for this at minnesotagardening.com and search for spring 2022. And you will find this, the book and links and all the show notes for this episode there. So I also want to let you know that I recorded a series of podcasts with Kevin with for the Epic Gardening Podcast. So you can go and find those at minnesotagardening.com or on his site as well. And we covered a lot of topics specific for the upper Midwest and gardening here. So it was a really great conversation. It was an honor to be on his podcast as well. And so earlier I teased that we are having an announcement here at the end of this podcast. And I am so proud to let you know that we are going to have a second episode of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast come out each and every week. This second episode will be all about gardening tips for cold climate gardening. So we're going to talk about what's going on in zones three, four, five, our types of gardening here and have a very timely tip for everyone. These are just going to be short episodes, a uh, five to 10 minutes long at the very most, all about one specific topic. So Japanese beetles. And uh, if you're thinking about pruning and how to prune lilacs, those kinds of things that you've got. These will be very timely episodes, so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you can hear things when you need. So again, thank you so much for being here for this spring 2022 season. Make sure if you haven't listened to the whole thing yet, go back and listen to the first episode all about indigenous rematriation of seeds and how those indigenous seeds are important and critical for our future. So go back and listen to that episode, plus a bunch of other great ones along the way. So thank you again so much, and I will see you again later this week with the first gardening tip that we're going to have.